You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. I'm going in with more curiosity than ever before and less judgment than ever before. Remember why I ride? I ride because I love riding. I ride for joy. I ride for fun. I ride because it makes me proud, not because I win. It makes me proud because I got in, because I started, because I did something. And so that's just, that's like the storyline moving forward into 2021. And that obviously informs how I teach my classes. And it brings a whole new, you know, another shade of light on the storytelling that happens in classes. So curiosity over judgment is a big theme. That was Christine D'Ercole. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome, and welcome back, Marnie on the Move podcast listeners. It's me, Marnie. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. I am so excited for you to discover, although you may already know her, today's podcast guest, Christine Diarcole. She is a Masters World and five-time national champion track cyclist, as well as an extremely popular and empowering Peloton senior instructor. But before we dive in, shout out to our sponsors, Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra-personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. They are my go-to for understanding my inner health, looking at my blood levels, and getting great nutritional insight. Inside Tracker transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take control of your health and wellness Unlock the power of your potential. Use our code for 20% off. Thank you, MOTM. And of course, there's a link in the show notes. Now, back to our guest. Christine's super fun and motivating classes inspire riders of all different backgrounds and fitness levels to come together and work towards self-love with every pedal stroke. Her intentionally curated and amazing playlist which span a multitude of decades, set the tone, vibe, and narrative for every ride. On this episode of Marnie on the Move, Christine shares her inspiring journey from an aspiring model and actress to falling in love with cycling. She talks about her struggles with body image and how fitness and competition motivated her to fully embrace herself. During our conversation, Christine shares her experience as a professional athlete and how she came to join Peloton, the groundbreaking 
uber popular and world-renowned fitness and entertainment platform. Christine also opens up about her recent health scare and how she's using her platform as a Peloton instructor to encourage people to take time to take care of their bodies. Christine's inspiring story will motivate you to fully embrace her signature mantra, I am, I can, I will, I do. If you like what you hear, leave us a review. It's easy. Head over to the app on your phone, iPad, or wherever you listen on Apple. Click on Marnie on the Move. Scroll through the episodes. Click on five stars. Click on leave a review. And tell us what you love. Also, share this conversation with your friends on your social feeds, wherever you like to get social. And last but not least, Sign up for our bi-weekly newsletter, The Download. Now, without further ado, I bring you Christine D'Arcole. Hi, Christine. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I've taken several of your Peloton cycling classes. I'm so psyched to have you on the podcast, Christine. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm obsessed with your playlists. I love all the music that you, <laughs> I'm sure you get this a lot, but you have some yeah. seriously awesome playlists at your Peloton classes. Thank you. You're welcome. So who are some of your favorite artists and bands or music genres right now? It's such an unfair question. All right. You could give me like 10. I know it's a hard, like I could totally... <laughs> I know it's hard. Let's you know, start with Depeche Mode. <laughs> well, yes, of course, Depeche Mode. You know, I, I really love artists that have had to fight, artists that have had to, you know, that speak out about things that just aren't right. And, you know, like Susie and the Banshees. Oh, I love them. Yeah. Her whole story. I don't know if you took my Women's History month ride where I quoted, I pulled a quote from each of the artists that I played. And she said that punk, this punk movement did so much for women because it encouraged them or inspired them to pick up a guitar instead of playing the chanteuse. And because so there's so much in this world that is, uh, that encourages women to simply live to seek the male gaze and we're so much more than that. Yes, <laughs> so she really, yes. really inspires me in that regard. I love pink. I don't need to explain that. Yes. Um, Melissa Etheridge. I have a chicks ride tonight. Yes, which, I know. You know, their whole story is just, wow. And I love LP. I don't know. You must have heard LP on some of my rides. I could go on. LP, Laura Pergolizzi. She, her voice, I can't. <laughs> and then you have, you know, like Betty Buckley from the Cats, from from the Cats, from Broadway. <laughs> but she was in Cats. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'll just tell you, yeah, I, I am like Broadway deficient, but my partner loves Broadway. So I'm kind of like dialed in. And I, I guess it's part of like New York history and culture, like to be dialed into that world. But I definitely am more Susie and the Banshees type, like chicks, the Melissa Etheridge, Indigo Girls, all that music growing up. Indigo was like, Girls. How did I not say Indigo Girls? 
they kind of go together for me. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yes, they do. So when you're making your playlist, I mean, I know that you put a lot of thought into it, into the lyrics, into the curation, into all of it, and it's supposed to be inspirational. Do you think about the beats and do you think about like all of those things come into play, right? Everything. Everything comes into play. The energy of the song, the beat of the song, the lyrics of the song. Some songs are finishers. Some songs are warm-ups. Some songs are cool-downs. And, you know, some some songs have this sort of momentum and, like, driving steadiness. And some songs have these epic uh, breaks and falls. And every single one of these I hear as terrain. And so... I listen, there's a couple different ways I do it. If it's a musically themed ride, I listen to the songs. I collect buckets and buckets and buckets of songs. And and then I listen for what the terrain in the song is. And then I'll map things out. I might map it out according to a route that I know, like I did for the Haleakala series. Right. I knew what my cadences and intensities were because I had it recorded on a bike computer for the duration of that experience. And so I listened for songs that would fit each section of that. And then like, let's say the chicks ride that I'm doing tonight, right. They changed their name and it was awesome for that. I'm listening to their songs and letting that dictate the terrain. Sometimes I'll go through it a little more scientifically, right, like right. a power zone. Power right. zone, there's a, a, a roadmap that I then need to score. And that becomes challenging because it's in very, very clean numbers, three minutes, five minutes, seven minutes. And songs are not. <laughs> right. Well, they used to be longer, so right? And now lot. they're, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. So... You know, it's very, very important to me that if if I've got you in an effort and let's say the effort is five minutes and it's zone six, I want that song to support you all the way through, not cut off 10 seconds before you're finished with the, the time. And so I do a lot, a lot, a lot of research on finding, sometimes I need 30 seconds or 27 seconds to fill a gap, to shift that song so that it does finish with the timing that's required. And that's that takes a lot of time. That's what makes your playlists and your rides so amazing is the time and energy you put into and the thought into curating these amazing playlists that really, they're like the core of the ride, but yet they just feel like they just bring you through the ride. It's like you just get so into the music. Yeah. It feels like making art to me. Making a playlist is a complete art. Are you on Spotify or Apple? Like, where are your playlists besides if people take your classes at Peloton? I, Spotify is a huge resource. It is an, a huge resource. There's thousands and thousands of playlists there. Yeah, like for years. I've been teaching for like, I don't know, 18, is it 19 years at this point? Well, we didn't use Spotify back then. Back then... <laughs> 
we had CDs and that CD would last a week or two. He taught every class to that same CD. I was going to say, I mean, this, this is not like something you just wake up and one day you're just like really great at. I mean, you've been in the fitness industry for over 17 years. How did you get into fitness and where did it all kind of begin for you? And when did you connect with Peloton? All right. Yeah. Take me back. How much time do you have? We have, we have as much time as you have. My fitness journey, it's, funny because I, I never thought of myself as an athlete. I, I'm i sure you've heard the story that I grew up in ballet. Yes. And, you know, was told that my thighs were too big to be in a lead role with a short tutu. And that created a lot of shame for me. And when I discovered bicycles, obviously I'm jumping through eight other chapters of that story. Right. But when I discovered bicycles, and started to feel strong and started to win races, suddenly it clicked that I could feel good about myself, feel proud of the thing I'd been ashamed of and find success not based on someone else's opinion of my body, but because of my body and because of decisions I made has nothing to do with what I looked like. But I came to that by way of bike messengering in New York City in 1990. Wow. I needed a job. Impressive. I took a year off from college. I was studying acting at Carnegie Mellon. Mm-hmm. And I took a year off. And I'd always been into my bike. I used to go on rides on my old Schwinn World Sport all over suburban Pennsylvania. I got in trouble, too. Ended up on some major highways and had to be escorted off by the police. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Around age 14. Yeah. But when I came to New York city for my year off, I was very afraid of looking like I didn't know where I was on the subway because those maps were very confusing. So I thought I, I'm not going to risk getting mugged looking like I don't know where I'm going here. I'm going to figure out the city above ground. I can't get mugged on a bike, right? I remember that. I remember and when like you were told like don't hold a map on the subway cuz yeah, I remember those days in New York City. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. It was real back in 1990. Yeah. <laughs> I had a bartending job at the time that I got fired from. I was giving away way too many drinks, but I mean, that was how you made tips, right? Yeah. So, I needed a job and I was looking in the actual physical newspaper, in the classifieds. And this, you know, like, I have no skills. I'm, like, sort of an actor. (laughs) Like, an acting job is not necessarily going to pay the rent. So I see Bike Messenger. All you need is a bike and a bag and a lock. No experience necessary. So I march myself down, or ride myself down, to Champion Courier on 23rd and 7th, which, funny enough, is a block away from the old Peloton studio. And they asked me if I knew where the Empire State Building was, and I pointed in the wrong direction, and they gave me a map and a beeper, and off I went. And I started to really, really get into how fast can I get from Upper West Side to Wall Street? How fast? And I watched the other cyclists, and I, I learned, I learned how to like manage the traffic, and I had great joy in in the swim and the dance and 
and this is what's really key. This is what I, I think I fell in love with was there's no time to dwell on anything that's bothering you or upsetting you. You have to be completely present in traffic in New York City, obviously, completely present. And it became an incredibly zen and calming experience yeah. <laughs> for me, if that makes any sense at all. Yes, and completely. amongst yeah. the people that I got to know were actual competitive cyclists who were doing this as a day job or a side job. And at the end of the day, often those of us who lived uptown would ride through Central Park and you know, somebody would yell sprint and we would go for it and to the next light post or whatever somebody decided the finish line was. And I would come out really strong and win these little sprints often and started to see you do realize that you're quite fast. Yes. And my nickname as a messenger became legs, which was so funny because I had been so ashamed and embarrassed of my legs for so long. So I just started to become proud of it. And I got introduced to what a fixed gear bike was because I noticed some of the people I was messengering with were riding bikes that had no brakes on them and they didn't have any derailers or cables. And I thought that they were beautiful machines and so simple that I didn't understand what they were. And so they explained this to me and they explained what a velodrome was and took me to Queens, to Casino, my first velodrome. And I tried that bike out and I fell in love. There is something so different, so unique about being connected to the pedals of a bike with no brakes and one gear. It's com you cannot coast. It's a completely different experience. And well, that first try of a fixed gear bike happened like around two in the morning. <laughs> oh my God. Um, when there was not many people on the streets and, you know, late night gatherings in your early twenties. Yes. And did not involve bikes. <laughs> when I actually got on the velodrome yeah. <laughs> and got to experience the swoosh, the swoop and the swell and the swerve and the momentum and the inertia of the banking of the velodrome because some of them go up to 45, 47 degrees on the sides. It was like swimming and flying all at once. And this, this connection that you have to this machine in terms of managing the momentum you put a little bit of pressure down or a lot of pressure down to go faster. You lighten your pressure to maintain your speed. You resist the pressure on the pedals to slow down. It, it's, it's a beautiful sensation that, um, it's totally different to from riding like a road bike or a tri bike. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You can just hit the brakes. My really good friend just got a fixie and she's, gone from the world of cycling into like a different world of cycling mm -hmm. and she's trying to figure it out actually she's yeah. having a lot of beginner cur learning curve issues so yeah oh, she needs to take a clinic yes she does how did you start competing it, it, 
was a natural progression. Once I got out there and said, okay, so how, what, what are these races? When does this happen? How does this happen? And Wednesday nights, I start going out. I, in the meantime, I went back to college. I finished. I came back again to New York City in 95 and again worked as a messenger while I was auditioning and couldn't seem to get myself cast, even though I had a agent and was auditioning all the time. Uh, it's just something wasn't clicking. And my, at one point I said to my agent, listen, this bike racing thing is kind of taking off and I'm not getting cast and I don't understand why. And she said, to tell you the truth, we don't, we don't really think you're going to get cast for another 10 to 15 years. You're just too young for your character. You haven't grown into your castability yet. Wow. And I thought, oh my God. So I'm going to suffer making a barely livable wage for 15 years before maybe now during that 15 years, you know, I'll establish all these great relationships. And I said, you know, I got to race my bike now. I'm in my twenties. This is the time. So I said, I'm going to take a little break. Well, (laughs) she said, that's fine. And I never went back. Yeah. And it just, it's completely consumed my entire life. And I had, you know, I worked in a bike shop. I had an apartment that was as big as a single bed. And I had my bikes hanging on a pipe over my face, over the bed, Uh (laughs) all three of them. And, you know, I was, didn't even have a kitchen. I was sharing, it was like a rooming house and we had to share a bathroom and, you know, hopefully nobody would lock you in the bathroom as a prank. It was like that. But it right. was all about racing my bike. And by 96 and 97, 98, I was racing on a team Nautica competition. And I was traveling around the country racing with girls who were four years younger than me. We'd been racing 10 years longer. And I was hanging on. There was a very brief moment during this series of races where you went to each velodrome in the country for an omnium, which is a whole group of races. And then you have collective points for how well you did in all of the races together called the EDS cup. And at one point in this series, I was ranked 21st in the country (laughs) for a minute. It was very, very exciting. And I was racing with people who'd been to the Olympics or were on their way to the Olympics. And I just couldn't believe it was happening. And then 98, I discover I'm pregnant and I had my daughter in 99. Well, there was no bike racing there. That's not a thing you do. And I had to shift gears. During part of that time, I had been working as a makeup artist. That was another job I'd found. And once I hit, I don't know, my eighth month, it was February, she was born in April, I couldn't work anymore. So then I was literally home for about two years. And I gained a lot of weight. And, you know, I'd always been told as a dancer, I was a big girl, she's too big, big bones, big, 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 big. It was the the story I was taught to believe about myself. So I thought, well, now I am bigger than I ever imagined I'd be. I've got to find a way to embrace myself because it might never change. Like this might be it. This might be me. And so I thought, let me, 
try plus size modeling. Let's see if I can do that. And I go and I auditioned. They said, we love your look. We love your walk, but you're not big enough. I said, you got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. So they introduced me to this padded suit. And it covered the bust, the belly, the back, the butt, the thighs. And you pull on these pantyhose. When's the last time you heard the word pantyhose? And you, you tuck in all of these pads. They said, we can, can use you now, but we can't put you in any short sleeves for the spring and summer because your arms will look disproportionately small to your padded body. So I'm like, it's the opposite same problem that I had as a dancer where they wouldn't put me in the short tutu because my legs were too big compared to the rest of the girls. So it became a very, very twisted space in my heart. But I did it and I worked on that set. And every time I went out onto the live set, I had to check, everybody had to check themselves in the mirror to make sure the scarf was laying properly and the buttons were buttoned properly and the hat was at the right angle. And you, you walk up to the mirror and you, you smile and you have your proud posture. And after, I think it was about a year of doing this, of literally practicing proud posture. I feel like proud is an actual muscle and the feeling of proud that is achieved, like when you engage the muscles that pull your shoulders back and lift your heart and lift your chin, you, it's psychological gesture. You can create change in the way you feel in yourself by changing how you move your body. And I believe that is exactly what happened. But there was one moment that was literally like a synapse connected that wasn't connected before. And it happened when I was looking in that mirror and I did a double take and I heard myself say to myself, self-talk, you've been missing the point. All this fight all your life about being too big, now being too small is missing the point. It is time for you to let this entire game go and get back to what gave you joy and get back on your bicycle and find out how strong you can be. And it was like, it was just came to me. And, you know, many people might give that, you know, a certain ethereal name outside of oneself, but like, it was my voice. I heard myself talk to myself and I then quit modeling. And it happened to coincide with a very good friend of mine who had also gained a lot of weight in her second pregnancy, being very rudely told by a mutual ex-friend that... <laughs> that she had just put on way too much weight for her build and what was she going to do about it? And she was hurt, 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 hurt by that. She ended up joining a gym and she, for Christmas, she wanted me to go with her because she hated going alone. So she got me a gift of a one month membership. So I reluctantly went, but this was happening around the same time that that moment happened at the modeling situation. And it all came together. I said, you know what? I took, a, I took a cycling class and it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. The woman was mean. She was aggressive. 
<laughs> and I thought this could really be an incredible experience if it was motivating and inspiring and it's the music felt like the hill we were trying to climb. And if the intervals were timed with the choruses, this could be so much fun and empowering and life-changing. And I had the vision in my head. And then within a month, I found Schwinn and I got myself certified with Stacey Lee Krauss, one of my all-time favorite human beings and mentors. And the rest is history. I started teaching immediately. And it's funny because everything came together. The podium that the bike is on was a stage and I was able to score a story through the music and through the stories that I share. But the, the goal of all that was not for me to be on stage. The goal of all that and the through line of my life was to, to, to create and facilitate a moment where someone might see possibility where they hadn't before to inspire and not for credit. You inspired me or you changed my life, but there's, for me, there's nothing more powerful than, than just creating a situation that where someone can change their mind about what they think they're capable of. That brings me so much joy. I think it's amazing how you can do that with your classes and with the music and with everything that you bring, your, even your bigger picture, like your word shops and all the things that you do. Like it's, it's about, you know, changing your narrative, shaping your narrative. I mean, that is something that really comes through in your classes, but also in the other work that you do. When did you start your word shops? Was that organic? Word shop, it was, it was very organic. Well, it's the words, first it starts with the words, I am, I can, I will, I do, which had popped up, like just popped into my head during a bike race here and in a class I was teaching there. In 2006 or seven, I was teaching a class and there was these Japanese drums playing, Kodo's, uh, Strobe's, Nanafushi. And I had cued the class right at the end to turn it up until you think you can't take it anymore and then tell yourself, I am, I can, I will, I do. And the class roared and people came back to me for weeks after, like that moment, that was such a moment. And eventually I started saying it regularly and then I added it to my signature line and then I got it on Twitter and I got the dot com. <laughs> I was like, I need to hang on. This is like, I'm being associated with this. And so I need to claim this. And I think, I don't know, it's a thing, it's a package, it's a, it's a gem, it's a crystal. And in a relationship back in 2000, oh gosh, between 2010 and yeah, around 2010, <laughs> my partner was teaching children golf and she was working with inspiring them in this like a girl's golf weekend. And she said, can you do something with I am, I can, I will, I do with these children? They've got, you know, ages five to seven and eight to 10 and up to like 15. 
And I said, yeah, I totally can. Because in my head, I'm always filling in the blanks. How do I finish those sentences? I am scared. I can still show up. I will take a risk. I do see myself finishing the race, whatever. And I said, yeah, I can do that with kids. How important is it to get this to kids? Like, what if they could like just accept this little capsule into their brain and remember like whenever they're feeling freaked out or nervous or scared that like if they can check themselves and check how they're talking to themselves they can have this tool and fill in the blanks and and like wrap you could like wrap a string around it it gives you a whole bunch of amorphous conflicting ocean of feelings suddenly becomes encapsulated into a digestible thing and it becomes manageable then. And you can change the words. And then you can change the possibility of what might happen. So that's where it started. And I've just been doing them. <laughs> I think it's amazing how some people come to that conclusion or come to this path, right, of what you're talking about, whether it's, you know, I am, I can, I will, I do. But I really do think that exercise and fitness are a great vehicle to get people there because I believe that, you know, when you feel good physically, when you can accomplish small goals, whether it's running a mile or cycling a couple miles to being a world champion or, you know, you know, being a world, you know, master's world champion or five times national champion track cyclist, Mm -hmm. you know, all the little things get you to the big thing. And I think that sports and fitness and exercise help you sort of set goals and set small goals and big goals and achieve things that you yourself are in charge of that nobody else can, can tell you who you are or what you should do, what you shouldn't do, or what your narrative should be. It's like you find it in yourself to get to that next place. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And there's something about, well, there's something I think specifically in cycling and I'm sure it's in running except I'm not, well, I running is not my go-to. That's all. Yeah. (laughs) But in the rhythmic repetitive movement of these activities that, you know, there's the rhythm of your heartbeat. There's the rhythm of your breath. And when you move your body in rhythm, and these things line up and you increase your heat and increase your oxygen intake. It's very much like cooking. Cooking is chemistry. Cooking is alchemy. Right. You put things like ingredients in your pan or thoughts and words in your head and feelings from your heart. You're cooking them when you're in this rhythmic movement and you stir your own pot and things change under heat and oxygen. And I believe that's exactly what we're doing when we move our bodies and when our bodies are moving in line with our thoughts and our feelings and our focus, then that's when we really set ourselves up for transformation. Yeah. I think cycling has, there's a lot of freedom associated with cycling and a lot of focus in being present, like you said earlier, and the movement of the pedals and the flow and just I ride out, like especially out over, you know, when I ride up 
over the West Side Highway, up the West Side Highway, over the GW, up to Nyack, like... I get into this flow state. Like at first I'm like, just, you know, the city riding is like where you have to be super focused. You have to be very present in every movement that you make and you have to pay attention to everything that's happening around you just to move forward. But it's like a hyper focus. And then when I'm out, you know, on 9W, I definitely get into that flow state when there's no one around, you know, I'm just waiting, watching for like a deer or some kind of animal, but that's it. You know, I mean, I'm far away from the cars and, you know, it's a different kind of focus. (laughs) But then when I'm indoors, like in a Peloton class, I get to focus on my fitness differently. So it's all works so well together. That is a beautiful thing about the Peloton and being able to ride and not worry about dogs or strollers or deer or cars. (laughs) I do like my indoor cycling. I mean, there may be yeah. a child somewhere, but nearby. No, <laughs> it's um, it really creates a controlled environment where you know you you have this capacity to not be interrupted and allow yourself to fully fall into self focus. Yeah. So when did you start teaching at, at Peloton? Was it? It's been like a couple years now. I'm approaching seven years in October. It's been the best seven years. <laughs> Say that with my whole heart in my mouth. The best seven years so far. I It's a very funny story. I was working for another company at the time, walking on the beach in um, Montauk in Ditch Plains when I met a woman with this beautiful sharp black bob haircut her bright red lipstick like seven o'clock in the morning walking her adorable little dog joya and this woman's name was connie cortese and she knew me from cycling um because she took classes and we met several times on the beach walking dogs and she sent me a message on facebook saying, you know, my son's opening this new cycling studio and they're looking for instructors. So I just wanted to put this on your radar. And that was 2012. Well, I was not in a position to change anything in my life at that moment. So I said, thank you. And I let it sit. 2014, things were very different. And I knew I was in a situation where I needed to change things. And so I reached back out and I said, hey, so... I'd like to revisit this conversation and I got myself meetings. I went and contacted every single person besides Connie that I possibly could (laughs) to get the conversation with the right people and to get myself in front of John Foley. And I thought it would be a good fit for me because I saw the range of instruction styles happening. Right. And Unlike other places that teach a single style and you have to work within these parameters in this box. And this is like, you know, like, like a brand, like, you know, when you go to Starbucks, what your coffee is going to be like, right. There's a formula. And that's what yeah. they were offering. And I was like, I, this Peloton has this range yes. of options and many different ways of inspiring many different people and many different styles of cycling so that nobody's in a box. And I thought, wow, there's, there is room for me here as a cyclist, as an actual competitive cyclist. And I was a master trainer for Schwinn. I, I am bringing it another 
character to this cast, so to speak. Yes. I want to think of it as a cast, but I'm bringing something. And I, I said, I think you need me. <laughs> yes. And it was, it was such a moment of self, of declaration of self-worth because I felt it. I felt it so passionately. And it wasn't about, oh, I think this company is going to grow and be big and it's going to be famous. And it was never, never about any kind of celebrity or anything. It was about, I think I fit here. I think I fit with these people. I see myself here and in this community. Yeah. The fact that it's grown into what it's grown into was never in my, never in my in imagination. I just wanted another opportunity to be true to myself and to teach. And it's working out. <laughs> I mean, I've been a fan of Peloton from like day one. I remember some of the first, first classes. And I think the brand and has grown and the people and the teachers and the content. It's just amazing. And it's, it really does feel like an authentic, yeah. real good group of instructors and people and the team. So, I mean, I get it. It's like, you just clicked in, right? And it's like, I love using bike metaphors. Yeah. <laughs> right. Are you still cycling outside? Are you still riding on your fixed gear? Are you still doing a lot of that? Or are you just mostly doing your classes and teaching and casually riding? I'm training again. Okay. I had a little, yeah, I'm training. But I'm training inside. I'm training on my track bike, on the rollers, and on my road bike. And I haven't been out side mostly the weather right but also I've been healing from a little run-in with a little tell me about cancer. that because I mean you recently time out from training I mean you recently had a very scary yeah. health experience so maybe share yeah. a little bit about that because you yeah. know it's I know you paused yeah, everything it's important yeah there's nothing like hearing that word the C word, right. a very good friend of mine said, can you, can you say it? Say what? Say I have, no, I don't want to say it. And eventually I was able to say it. And at the same time, it, I got off easy. Right. I got off easy. And I am very, part of me was saying very, very lucky. Yes. But I also, and I'm going to take full ownership of this. I did something about something that scared me. I didn't sit on it. And I took care of it. So that's not luck. That's decision making. <laughs> that's being responsible for my life. How did you discover that you had something? This is what I want people to really hear. Four years ago, I had a dry spot on my nose, on the bridge on the side next to my eye and I grew up with eczema so I'm used to having random dry spots but that was an odd place for it and it was dry in a different way and it was tiny it was a tiny little like sliver of dry it just didn't seem seemed different than a skin tag it wasn't a mole I said I, I, got, I gotta get this checked out so I went to a dermatologist she froze it off I went back. She said it was precancerous and we got it. So I didn't give it another thought because trust. Right. And I, last August I saw it coming back. 
it was exactly the same kind of spot in exactly the same place. And of course I thought the worst. So I made an appointment for a different dermatologist and she did a biopsy and I very quickly got the call that it was a squamous cell carcinoma. And I'm sitting there thinking, now I'm not a scientist and I don't remember all my vocabulary, but carcinoma is not cancer. It's like cancer, right? No, wrong. Then she said the cancer and I said, okay. And I stopped listening. Really didn't hear much of what she said after that. Uh, So I had to ask her to repeat everything. And she put me on a cream uh, called Miquimod, I think I said it right, that was, its function was to minimize the boundaries and potentially minimize the depth of it for six weeks. And then after six weeks, we would do surgery. Well, she saw that at six weeks, I was handling this medication very, very well. And because not everybody does, it can cause rash, it can cause a lot of dryness, it can cause redness if I'm remembering what she said correctly. So she said, I'd like you to keep going with that for another 16 weeks, at which point my heart fell out of my body. I said, there's no, I, I was so upset. I, I said, no, I want it out now. Yeah, like, no, 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 get it off. Get it off of me now. And she said, I understand and we can do that, but you will likely have a much bigger scar. And like, I don't care. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's in the middle of your face. Just calm down. <laughs> she didn't say that. But I really wanted to share about it as I was going through it. But there was a wiser voice in me that thought, there, everybody's going through so much on their own. And I get the DMs about loss and sadness and everything that's happened with COVID and how profoundly it's affected everybody's life. And I I did not want to burden anyone. Like that's not what they come to me for. So it was challenging for me, but I figured I I need to, need to see how this pans out before I, you know, add drama to people's lives. Interesting. I had a weird gut instinct because we were supposed to record, Mm, right? That's right. When this was happening. Yes. I don't know. I'm very, I feel sometimes psychic. I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know that I really am, but I, I just like when you canceled, I'm like, Hmm, that's weird. Like something's up, like whatever she needs all good. But I, then when I saw that on Instagram, yeah. So then the time finally came and they did the Mohs procedure where they remove a layer at a time. They check it under a microscope and they remove the smallest amount possible and check it each time until the margins are clear. That way they don't take more than is necessary. And Dr. Mary Stevenson was amazing. I was scared out of my gourd. I wanted to be asleep. I was not asleep. I was numb, but this was the way they did it. And she comforted me. Her whole staff was just so, they put me at ease and, um, and then I moved on to the reconstruction. And the scary part about that was that the plastic surgeon, Roberto Flores, he, you know, we met, he had an understanding of my skin and my bone structure and how large the hole might be. And 
so he had a couple of game plans going in, but part of the art of what he does is to be able to take the situation that was unpredictable and, and fix it <laughs> spontaneously because every face is different. Everyone's skin and tissues are different. And one of the options, one of the possibilities was that they were going to do, I don't remember the name of the procedure, but it's like origami on your face. Wow. Where they make a big circle somewhere else and it's not a skin graft, but neighboring skin and like cut it in a way that they can flip a flap over. (laughs) Sorry if the listeners are like, if that is TMI, but this is the truth and the facts. (laughs) And luckily what happened is they didn't need to do that. He was able to close it without extra, um, without extra scarring. But but I, for weeks and weeks and weeks, I have been able to feel like underneath my skin, like what happened with the fascia underneath. It's wild. It's absolutely wild. And he did an amazing job because nobody can tell. Wow. Nobody can tell. And it's only a month out. I can't even believe it. Like, I can feel it. But it's getting smoother and smoother. Anyway, the point of all of this is get yourself checked. Yes. If you have a funny spot. And even if you don't have a funny spot, nobody can see their back. Yeah. Just get everybody go make appointments now. Go. I'm getting back to going to different doctors. So many people message me. Yeah. It's really important. You know, it's like. It seems like something, I don't know, it just feels like a doctor, like a dermatologist is not always a doctor that you would go to, but I think it is a doctor you should be going to every year as a, male, female, it doesn't matter, especially if you're an athlete and you're outside all the time, you know, it's like, you just don't know where something's coming from and like, you have to check your skin. It is a very important organ in our bodies. So that's the story. (laughs) That's the story. I have saw your post and I'm like, I have to go to get a checkup. And I've been really nervous. So I've been super nervous about going to the doctor this year, obviously, you know, and I just made all my like, you know, appointments for my annual, you know, mammogram and screenings and all those things. And I'm like getting back to it. So dermatologist is on my list and May is skin cancer awareness month. That's right. You know, I'll be all over that. So how are you feeling? Like, how are you able to exercise? It's been a slow journey back. Um, I'm just at the point where I'm beginning to push a little harder, but in order for the tissues to heal properly, you don't want to disturb them. You don't want to get your heart rate up and expand those blood vessels. You want to keep everything really calm and quiet and as still as possible. I sat for three weeks and it was the idea of that was daunting to me. The idea of being on a medical leave and, you know, like you can't even look at work email. Like you are on leave, you're healing. I was like, but, but, but no. Like, I have to still do things. You're like, no, you have to heal. I started, I made a tremendous amount of progress on my book. And that was such a silver lining. Like, so much happened. 
so much writing happened. And um, so I'm very, very pleased with that. And now I am, as I said, just at the point of beginning to push a little harder where I don't feel my nose like in discomfort with my heart rate up as much as I did a week ago. So we're just, you know, dipping our foot in. And as soon as I start to feel anything a little funny, I you know, back off. And we do have national championships and world championships on the schedule this fall. So I think I'll be ready by then. What's your training like? Like once you get back to it, obviously now you're just kind of easing slowly into it. What are some of your goals leading into the race? My goals for this year are to show up and be curious. My plan in training on my way there is to follow whatever my coach says. They set out blocks of training and um, there's progressive overload and tapering. And there's a series of races starting in May, early May. And I will go to these races and see what I can do. I've got a few weeks to build up some endurance again. Right now, that's really where I'm focused, is kicking my endurance back up so that my heart rate's not pounding when I'm only in power zone three. (laughs) Right. What kind of endurance do you do? Well, it's funny. You're a triathlete. Mm -hmm. Your endurance is like the long haul. Yeah. My endurance event it's like a mile. It's like 15 minutes at the <laughs> <Yeah>. most. <laughs> totally. Um, if I do a mass start race, like a scratch race, it could be a couple of miles, three miles. That's my endurance event. My longest time trial is like under five minutes. And that's a team time trial, a team pursuit. The individual time trial the 2K, that's my nemesis. That race, the fastest I've gone is two minutes and 36 seconds. And that's a different kind of endurance than you are practicing for. The different yes. definition of endurance. I have to say that I was on my video game app that I love. Yes. And I did. That was the closest I ever got to racing was I signed up for a crit. And I think I did like eight laps and my FTP went from like, my FTP is so low, but it's fine. I don't care. I'll say it. It was 100. It went to like 124. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm 5'1". And like, so <laughs> that's it. Like, that's all I'm saying. It's low. I got to get some serious muscles. You know, it's individual to everybody. Yes. So. I know. But like, you know, it's like, yeah, I've got to get it up still because I have to get I have to get a little faster. It's I think the crit like really lit a fire under me to like, you know, people were beating me and right. I was like, what? What's going on here? I have to get out and win. You know, it like it brought this whole new side of me out. And so, yeah, I got my FTP up in a right. race. I, I think it's like such an amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, I've never been on a fixed gear. I can't even imagine. I mean, it it sounds really fun, but yeah, that's the closest I've gotten to racing. Well, if you want to, I'll take you out to a clinic, and they always have bikes you can try, so that you don't have to make an investment before getting a taste of it. I would love that. I would love to try it. I'm always up for an adventure, and. 
actually, I was going to ask you, like, if somebody wanted to get into the sport of cycling on a fixed gear, a fixie, as they call it, on the road, yeah, where can they get started? What would you recommend? Velodromes have clinics. So Casina in Queens has clinics and Casina is a very, very friendly, all of the velodromes are friendly, but what I, what I'm getting at is it's, it's not as steep as the other velodromes. It's a, it's only 18 degrees on the banking. So it's very gentle and very much less intimidating than let's say the velodrome in Pennsylvania, in Allentown, right? That's 33 degrees. And then there are other velodromes that are 45 and 47 degrees. And it's nice to work your way up. But all of these tracks have clinics to try the track. And that is the way to do it. Because you have an instructor who explains to you what all of the different lines are on the track. And there has to be very uh, predictable behavior. You have to follow the rules. If you're going super fast in an effort, you're down at the bottom. If you are passing, you go on the right. You don't go underneath someone. There's a whole bunch of rules. You know, where to get onto the track, where to get off the track, so that everybody knows, everybody can predict traffic. Right. I love and, that. Um, yeah. It's really, really fantastic. Casina, you're in New York. So Casina yeah. has, they will be having clinics. There's some really great groups conduct them. Yeah, all you have to do is go on the website. Very, very supportive, very positive community. One of the things I love about cycling is the technical stuff. So I think, I don't think I would ever end up like in the long term being, you know, racing, cycling and racing like on a track, right? But I, I love to try different things, but I do really like the nuances of the technicalities of cycling. Like I love hard, challenging courses. Yeah or windy roads, or just how, handling the bike. I mean, I grew up on a bike, mm-hmm. so I love that about cycling. Yeah, and track cycling, a fixed-gear bike, will give you better handling skills on the road bike, for sure. Because when you can't brake, you really have to temper your, your body control and being relaxed and ready to, to go and understand that even your head movement can throw off the rest of your body. You turn to look over your shoulder, you're going to drift that way. Right. It happens on the road too, but you become hyper aware of it on the track. Yeah. Interesting. I think that's really cool. And, you know, in addition to cycling and all of your amazing classes that you teach at Peloton, you also have such great style, which I'm sure comes from your years of modeling and theater and acting, but you have this really cool, you have great merch, your jewelry. I love all the accessories that you wear on Instagram and on your website. Do you do all of your own design? Tell me about your jewelry line and all these other things that you do. Well, my pendant that I make, that came from, I met a woman at a party many, 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 many years ago who had a ring that had stamped words on it. And I just thought the aesthetic was so so cool and so edgy and I wanted to learn how to do that and so I reached out to her she taught me I bought the stuff I watched some more YouTube and I bought some more tools and I figured out how to do it (laughs) (laughs) and um, people seemed to I wore it and people wanted it and so I made more and it's you know it's very 
had no idea it would take off the way it did. There's something powerful about seeing the words on you. You look in the mirror and you see the words on you and it reminds you to check your talk on a t-shirt, on a necklace, on a poster on the wall. We need reminders for how we talk to ourselves. And so that is, you know, that's the inspiration behind that. And some of the jewelry on my website is designed by my very, very good friend and fellow competitive cyclist who we won a silver medal at nationals in the, in the Madison race. And we have team pursued it together a few times. Sarah Munoz is doing that edgy, the stuff with all the chains yeah. and the, the silver and pewter letter beads and the, the bracelets, the rocker stuff. I love that top. stuff. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. She's got great style. And so we did a collaboration. And then there's Yovana Jurich, which is my wild claw feather wing rings that everybody asks me about all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I just happened to spot one of her rings in a store window on the Upper West Side at a shop called Outlet. And I it just, I stopped and stared at it. I'd never seen anything like that before. And I went into the shop and I tried it on. I said, ay, ay, this, this is special. This is really unique and special. And I've, I've always had an eye for, I don't want what everybody else has. Right. <laughs> I don't know if there's an ego inside. Yeah, you're not, you're not a joiner. Yeah, I could tell. <laughs> I'm attracted I, to other people who are not joiners. I get it. Right. You're paving the way. You're... I don't want the braids. And I love that you can't go to the mall and buy her stuff. Yeah. You can't order it on Amazon. It is unique. It is art. It is an expression of her soul that I see in a piece of her that I see her in myself. It's her work makes me, it's like my superhero accessories. It's my Wonder Woman cuffs. It's my golden lasso, if you will. Yeah. And it's art. I'm wearing art and supporting an artist. And that is a very powerful thing because I think especially especially in the world we live in now, that it is more important than ever that artists keep making art because it heals us and yeah. makes us think and lets us feel. So that's my big story about Yovana Jurich. Yeah, no, and you have great cycling style too. I mean, all of your kits and your bike helmet and your shoes, like it kind of all goes together. I've got quite a few pairs of cycling shoes. I'm obsessed with cycling fashion, just so you know, because I really think for women, like I'm, I like fashion. So like when I get out on the bike, I want yeah. to have the same thing. You want to feel sharp. Yeah. I want to look good. I want to feel great. It's kind of like, yes. I'm, I don't care what other people think. It's just how I feel. It makes me feel good. Like that's like, you're talking about your jewelry. When I wear my kit with the flowers on it, that makes me feel so my daughter designed those flowers, by the way. I was going to say, do um, you design your own kits? I did design these last two kits. Actually, I designed the last four kits. The blue one that says, I am a can, I will, I do. Well, that was just very simple. Right. <laughs> but it's that color. That, that I love that cobalt blue color. It's just bam. And then the flowers, 
I had this idea. I, I, my daughter is an incredible artist. On my website, she designed the unicorn, the octopus with the bicycle wheel. Um, there's a cat design coming. Oh, my God. And I had her do these flowers. And she just did such an amazing job with the colors and the design. And I thought it would be so sharp on a cycling kit. So she designed a whole series of flowers and then I laid them out on the kit with the help of Phi 13, which is the maker of the kit. Mm -hmm. I love the cuts of their kit. Yeah. Um, when I wear that flower kit, I feel so badass. Yeah. I love flowers, but I yeah. feel incredibly badass <laughs> and proud that like I'm, I'm sharing my daughter's art too and that I want that to empower her because when other people see it and then they wear it too it, yeah. it makes her know what I'm doing is worthwhile and you, you know what I mean yeah it's, it's, you, it's a whole circular experience there yeah do you sell your kits they they were available for team purchases mm -hmm. but um I was thinking about going through and uh making them available again oh my god you, you know should. with no season it's yeah. like uh but people still ride anyway so. yeah I see more and more women out on the They're bikes beautiful. and even indoors like you want to look good on your bike when you're taking a class or whatever I mean yeah I don't know and tell me about your shoes because that's Absolutely. my current even if you're in a basement yeah well all oh. the more reason <laughs> to rock your cycling kit right <laughs> What, how many pairs of shoes do you have? <laughs> Can we talk about shoes, please? Because okay, I, regular shoes no. or cycling shoes? Cycling shoes. <laughs> I think that there's like 15 pairs there right now. I have backup shoes. Do you still have them all in rotation or? Yeah, I have a pair of custom carbon fiber shoes by Simmons mm -hmm. that uh, are for race day. Like those are just for race day. I will train in them occasionally just to like feel them, but it's a carbon fiber mold of my foot. And the, you know, you just, you don't want to spend a whole lot of time in them. <laughs> but it's, the point of them is that it's direct power transfer. There's no, like a sneaker has squish and that squish is to absorb shock as your foot hits the ground with cycling shoes, you want absolutely no absorption of your forward propulsion. You want your legs effort to go directly into that pedal to push it down and pull it up um, with no dissipation. So the harder the shoe, the better. And you don't get harder than carbon fiber with no insole. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Is there a rule of thumb when it comes to matching and style with regards to cycling gear and apparel? Uh, you know what? That Sadly, that rule's gone out the window yeah. because, you know, there's certain shoes that I love mm -hmm. and they don't make them anymore. And I've had to resort to like looking for them <laughs> new in box on eBay Yep, <laughs> because they don't make this style anymore. And I, you know, I'm trying a lot of shoes that are good for certain periods of time. They're good for, you know, some shoes are better for class. Some shoes right. are better for racing. And, you know, I have a mix. I have Shimano. I have Specialized. I have Bond. I have a lot of different brands yeah. of shoes. Mm -hmm. All for different purposes. 
if I'm going to go for a longer ride outside, Mm -hmm. there's one shoe I'm going to wear over another shoe that I'm going to wear for a short race on the track. The the thing is, like, if you were to ask me for recommendation, everybody's feet are different. Yeah. What works for me is not necessarily going to work for somebody else. If your feet are wider or tighter or you have wider ankles or thicker ankles or thinner ankles, all of our feet are so unique. It really is trial and error. Yeah, I know. I mean, I went through a whole process. So I've been wearing CD, S-I-D-I, cycling shoes for years for triathlon. And like they make two colors for women. So I got a little frustrated because I spent a lot of time on my bike this past year outside and more so than ever, really. And I'm like, how am I wearing the same pair of shoes every weekend? Like, it's just, I don't know. I suddenly like dawned on me. I sound so stupid, but like, it's a real thing. I mean, it suddenly like dawned on me that I wanted to have a couple different colors and then they didn't make them. And then I had to try on different different sizes and different brands. And then I was like, wow, like these CD shoes are perfect for me. I now have a pair. I got a pair of physique shoes, which also fit me really well. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I'm just I'm just always like on this like mission to like, I mean, who knows, maybe I'll be a cycling shoe designer one day. <laughs> but like, I just feel like, you know, I'm always on a mission. You know, a dream shoe would be to have a silver, a total silver glitter shoe. Yes. Oh, my God. Just It'll go with everything. Yeah, that's what I want. A, that's your dream totally shoe. silver glitter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's my dream shoe. Goes with everything. I love that. I like glitter too. I saw a glitter shoe. I'm going to send it to you. You know, in addition to all your great classes at Peloton, you also do these like post-workout Instagram chats. Is this for every ride that you're doing this or just certain rides? I try to do it for every ride because it's, it's you know, we used to see people in the studio. Right. And in the dark ages. come in and there would be people who had, you know, flown across the country to celebrate a milestone or a birthday in the studio. And it's, it's, we would walk in and say hi and stop for a moment and chat with people. And after class, we would go out. And then sometimes people would want to take a picture to commemorate that milestone. And, you know, we just, we just don't have that anymore. And so these, these pre- and post-class Instagram lives are, you know, they're not a substitute, but they're the closest we can get now to that personal connection of actually interacting with the people who are taking our classes. And I find it's a really special time and it gives me an opportunity to, you know, see familiar names, answer some questions and meet some new names. I love when somebody's on the live and they say, I'm new here. And you know, I'm just discovering everything and everybody then welcomes them. It's, it's really, really beautiful. Sometimes I'll post to them because sometimes we have some really, you know, sometimes some important things that need to be heard more than once get said. And a lot of times it's inspired by the questions that are asked. So they are very, very important times for me. Yeah. I love doing those. I never thought of it that way. You know, now that you said that, I do think that that is, I mean, that's really cool that that's how you look at it because there always is a time when you get to a class and you kind of like say hi to the instructor or 
you tell them something that's going on right. or you catch up or, you know, after class you hang out and you talk a little bit too. So, wow, that's really cool. I love that. Yeah. What are some of the classes you think people should like stack before your ride and after your ride? Oh, take a warm up, take a cool down. I don't care which one, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> At least take a five minute warm up and a five minute cool down, if not longer. If you've taken a longer ride or a really, really intense short ride, you should take a longer cool down ride. Or a recovery ride. We have these 20 minute recovery rides, which, you know, once you know a ride, you can adapt it to your purposes. Like you could do a 20 minute recovery ride and treat it as a warm up. It's really important to add those in because it prepares the body. The warm up prepares the body and the cool down helps the healing process, the recovery process, the repairing to begin. Um, you add the stretch to that. Mm -hmm you incorporate your strength and not saying stack them all together at the same time in one big stretch, right? right. You have a stack for your cycling and then you might couple it with strength and or yoga, but in order to get the most out of yourself and the most out of the content that we've created, it's really, really important to warm up, cool down, stretch. And remember that, you know this as a triathlete, you're in a long duration, limited range of motion, repetitive activity. It, it's prone to overuse mm -hmm. fatigue from doing the same thing all the time. And we've got to move the body in other planes of motion. Yes. You know, you're hunched over the bicycle and, you know, I, I'm 49 years old. Like I, oh, we're the same age. That's so funny. Yeah. I, I got I, like, I got to unfold myself yeah. before I can walk. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm a world champion athlete. What is this with me getting up out of the chair, like hunched over and I got to stretch before I can walk anywhere. It's the truth. Yeah. Um, and we have to stretch in other planes of motion. We have to rotate. And so the yoga and the strength work is really going to, really going to help you there. So the stacks are great because it takes the searching, the delay of searching for the next thing you're going to do mm -hmm. out of the equation. You get it done ahead of time and then boom, there it is. And you don't, you, you're not confronted with like, Oh, I don't know which one to do. I don't like this song. Yeah. You plan it out and then you <laughs> just you do know, it. Like, the yeah. silliest the yeah. silliest thing can deter someone from committing to what they chose to do. And you're like, ah, I don't want to do it because that song is up. Stop it. Yeah. Make a stack, stick to the stack. Hashtag stick to the stack. I love that. Well, stop it. I mean, that is like my sort of like go-to ticker tape. Whenever I start doing negative self-talk and self-sabotage, I just say, stop it. It's like that right. Bob Newhart video. I saw it. Uh, someone told me to watch yeah. it when I was in a swim camp in St. Croix, the coach, because I was like, oh, like, how do you swim across a channel or how do you do this? And I'm going to get eaten by a shark. And what if there are jellyfish? And he's like, just stop it. Has it ever happened to you before? <laughs> I'm like, no. Just stop it. Yeah. I don't know. 
So what are you looking forward to in 2021? Like, what's the vibe you're feeling? What's new and exciting in the world of Christine Diercole? Well, having had this uh, little life scare certainly puts fire under one's ass. I am looking forward to racing again. I am looking forward to racing with a new attitude. Um, And that attitude, I've always preached curiosity over judgment. But I still suffer from the inertia of that. You, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I still, I still judge myself, yep. and I still have to remind myself, stop it, mm-hmm. <laughs> be curious, <laughs> and remind myself of like the time that I won the Category One UCI race in 2018 as a Masters athlete, winning a race with you know 18 to 30 year olds. I said to remind myself. Be curious. You just might win. But I'm going in because I've had all of this time off and sidelined and not moved and had, you know, my training interrupted. I'm going in with more curiosity than ever before and less judgment than ever before. Remember why I ride? I ride because I love riding. I ride for joy. I ride for fun. I ride because it makes me proud, not because I win. It makes me proud because I got in, because I started, because I did something. And so that's just, that's like the storyline moving forward into 2021. And that obviously informs how I teach my classes. And it brings a whole new, you know, another shade of light on the storytelling that happens in classes. So curiosity over judgment is a big theme. I love that. I love it. How have the lessons you learned from fitness and sports empowered you for success in your career? Oh, yes, they have so much. You know, every time we get on the bike, whether it's the Peloton or I'm in a bike race or in a training session by myself, there's moments where you hit the wall whether it's because it hurts physically or and or because you're staring at metrics that you have a negative emotional associations with, we hit a wall and we think we can't. And all through this career of mine, it has been about who are you when that wall is in front of you. Do you talk about how big it is? Do you graffiti it with all the words that describe why you can't go through it? Or do you find a way to either dismantle it, go over it, go around it, go under it, or somehow get on the other side of it? Who are we? And that that is the biggest life lesson that I have taken from fitness and sports. And that is all wrapped up in the story you're telling yourself, the words you hear in your own head. So there was a race back in the nineties. There was a girl named Vicky who no one could beat. And I was racing with her. 
was approaching the finish line. I was ahead. I heard her coming. And in my head, I heard myself say, ah, she's got it. I don't know that I even tried to fight for the finish line. And after that race was over, I was displeased, obviously. And there was another race because we usually have three, four in the evening. They're very short. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing happened. I was ahead. Finish line is coming. I hear her attacking. And I thought to myself, what if I can dig a little deeper, push a little harder, believe a little bigger? And I got it. And I won it. And it was a major moment of discovery to me that I could have made that wall. I made the wall in the race before and I decided I couldn't win. And once I realized that that was tied to the words in my head, I changed the words in my head and I won the next race. Obviously changing your self-talk does not guarantee you're going to win. Right. <laughs> but yes, it, it makes it more possible it certainly makes it more possible. So how do you want to live your life, right? Yeah. Deciding that you can't or asking yourself, what if I can? So that's what sports and fitness have given me. I love that. This has been so amazing, Christine. I'm so glad that we got to talk. You've like inspired me beyond what I even imagined I would be inspired from this conversation. So thank you. Thank you so much. You are very welcome. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, marnieonthemove1 at gmail.com. And let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out. 